1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, we read, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. In this morning's text, Paul describes the feelings he has for the believers in the church at Corinth. He considers them his spiritual children. They are his kids in Christ. Paul loves these Christians like a father loves his children. He says that the Corinthians have 10,000 teachers, but they only have one spiritual father, which is Paul. Certainly, the apostles' intent in this passage is not to preach a Father's Day's message, but his words do provide a portrait of a father's heart, for his approach to the church should be every father's attitude toward his kids. Over a lifetime, a person might have many teachers, but if they have a good father, they are truly blessed. Social commentator David Blankenhorn, he writes about life in this new millennium. Fatherlessness is the most destructive trend of our generation, and I agree. Today, nearly 20 million American children live in fatherless homes. More specifically, 23.6%, that's nearly a quarter of all kids, live in a home where dad is absent. And the results of this are devastating and far-reaching. Fatherless children are six times more likely to live below the poverty line as kids in homes where the dad is present. Some 43% of state prison inmates grew up in fatherless homes. Young ladies living without a father are twice as likely to become teenage mothers. Children in fatherless families are more vulnerable to ills like dropping out of school, joblessness, drug addiction, suicide, mental illness, sexual abuse. And realize fatherless homes are not just homes without fathers. Just because you and your kid's dad have the same address and live under the same roof, it doesn't mean that they aren't living in a fatherless situation. Author C.R. Snyder, he provides an illustration that really hammers home this point. He talks about two parents that he observed on separate airplane flights. First was Jenny and her dad. Snyder figured Jenny to be about three years old. It was her first time on the airplane, and the dad was just as excited as his daughter was. He explained to Jenny the loud noise at takeoff was from the engines. As the force pushed them back in their seats, dad whispered, Honey, I'll hold your hand. Once airborne, Jenny and dad chatted the whole trip. He even took her around the cabin on a little stroll, pointing out items of interest. When the plane began its descent, Jenny got scared. Her daddy comforted her with a big hug and explained to her what was happening. It was obvious that she trusted him wholeheartedly. But Snyder tells of another flight and a different parent and child. Teddy, too, was about three years old. And after dad had buckled him into his seatbelt, he ordered him, Now you sit here and be quiet. Daddy's going to sleep. And sleep he did for the entire flight. At times the little boy was noticeably frightened, but his dad was oblivious to his fears. 
He ignored his child's thoughts and needs and questions. No words or touches were exchanged. In a real sense, Teddy was flying alone. Dad, just because you sit in the seat next to your kids at breakfast, or you sleep in a room down the hall, it doesn't mean they aren't growing up in a fatherless situation. How many kids today are flying alone? Well, that having been said, let me assure you, my goal today is not to bash dads. I want to encourage you if you're a dad. Yes, all dads can improve their fathering skills, but the fact that you're there, that you're involved in your children's lives trying to be a good dad needs to be commended. Dads today need help and support, not condemnation. A USA Today survey of men showed that 71% agreed the job of being a father is more difficult today than a generation ago. And 72% of those men felt that they were doing worse or at least no better at the task than their father. That's a tough admission for the male ego. In other words, take the pulse of men today and you'll discover that fatherhood is characterized by frustration and failure. Dads, let me be the first to admit that we all make mistakes. There are no perfect dads. We forget that Charles Ingalls and Cliff Huxtable were both a myth. The only perfect father is named God. You know, it's easy to father a child, but it takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of effort to be a father. Perhaps you thought a dad's job was to help his kids grow up, but equally so, it's the children who often cause us dads to grow up. Just in time for Father's Day, I've got a top 10 list for you. A top 10 list that proves my point. Here are the top 10 things I learned from my kids that I didn't really want to know. Number 10, a screaming four-year-old's voice is louder than 200 adults in a crowded restaurant. That's right. Number nine, when you throw a baseball into a spinning ceiling, ceiling fan, the blades can hit the ball a long way and generate enough force to break a window. Number eight, when you hear the toilet flush, followed by the words, uh-oh, <laughs> it's too late. Number seven, Legos pass through the digestive tract of a three-year-old. You wouldn't know that if you weren't a father. Number six, the words Play-Doh and microwave should never be used in the same sentence. Never. Number five, old MacGyver reruns can teach a child many things he doesn't need to know. Number four, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches should never be stuffed in a person's back pocket. Number three, rocks in a gas tank will make lots of noise. Number two, the spin cycle on a washing machine does not make earthworms dizzy. It does make cats dizzy, and a dizzy cat will throw up twice its body weight. And the number one thing as a dad you've learned that you really don't need to know, number one, or don't want to know, quiet does not necessarily mean all is okay. See, fathers learn from their kids as much, if not more, than they teach them. At times, a dad wonders if he's doing his kids any good at all. But dad, don't underestimate the impact that you're having in your child's life. 
Even a father with faults is crucial to his child's success in life. A February 1995 U.S. News cover story, Why Dads Count, opened with a bold thesis. Dad is destiny. More than virtually any other factor, a biological father's presence in the family will determine a child's success and happiness. Rich or poor, white or black, the children of divorce and those born outside marriage struggle through life at a measurable disadvantage. It reminds me of the biblical example of the sons of Korah. These were Levitical priests who penned a psalm of praise. You can read it, Psalm 44. It opens, We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what deeds you did in their days. These sons glorify God because their fathers left them a legacy of faith. Dad, your children are trying to watch the parade called life, but they're just little guys. They're small and they're short, and they can't see the temptations and the distractions and the contradictions that line their path. The only way they can really see, see it all, the hand of God, the plan of God, is for you to stand tall in your faith and to let them stand on your shoulders. Make no mistake about it. Nobody can take the place of the man a child calls dead. As Paul told the Corinthians, for though you might have 10,000 instructors, yet you do not have many fathers. If you're a dad, please realize you occupy a strategic place in the life of your child. Other men might influence coaches and friends and bosses and mentors and role models, but none will come close to the impact on your kids that dad will have. One author writes, when a child is born, a father is born. The delivery doctor holds up something roughly the size of a loaf of bread for him to see for the very first time. Even if he abandons it forever 10 minutes later, the memory will nag him to the grave. For he has seen the creation of the world. It has his mark upon it. He has its mark upon him. Both marks are, for better or worse, indelible. Father and child are permanently connected. A father has an important position on the team. And there's nobody on the bench totally capable of taking his place. A dad is more needed than he knows. And a dad is needed for more than what's commonly expected. I found the following list of the duties for a gym dad, a cheer dad, and a swim dad. I've been one of the three. I've been a cheerleader's dad. And I would agree with this list. Here are dad's duties. Pay, clap, drive. <laughs> Pay, clap, drive. For a cheer dad, for a gym dad, for a swim dad, they're not always in this order, trust me, but they are always the same. Pay, clap, drive. In fact, if I were laying out the four duties of a cheerleader dad, it would be drive, pay, clap, and then pay some more. You need a car, you need some money, you need a lot of enthusiasm, and you need even more money. 
But Paul, in his analogy here in 1 Corinthians 4, he's dealing with a different set of duties. He's concerned about what we provide our kids spiritually. How Paul cared for the Corinthians is how a godly dad should care for his kids. And here Paul reveals four duties of a godly dad. First, love them. Paul refers to the Corinthians as my beloved children. You could say he warms them with his love. And the dad should also love his kids. Second, he warns them. He loves them enough to confront them with truth and bring them needed correction. So is the job of a dad. Third, Paul wants good things for these believers in Corinth. He tells them in verse 16, I urge you. He motivates them to be all that God has made them to be. And this is the job of a dad. And then fourthly, he provides an example. He walks before them and he exhorts his spiritual children. Mimic what I do. Become who I am. I urge you, imitate me just as every father should say to his children. Here are the four duties of a dad. He warms his kids with love. He warns them with sound advice. He wants God's best for them and urges them on as he walks before them as an example for them to imitate. A good dad warms, warns, wants, and walks. A fourth grade class was asked to write a paper on their favorite hero. One little boy wrote about his dad. When he took the paper home, his dad was so impressed, so proud of his little guy that he was his little guy's hero. But when the father asked his son why he had picked him, the little guy answered, Dad, I, it was because I couldn't spell Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but dads, if you warn, warn them and warn them, and walk for them and walk before them, I promise you that one day they'll look at you and they'll call you their hero. Well, the first duty of a dad is to warm his kids with love. And if you're the father of an infant, you are thinking, Pastor Sandy, you're nuts. You've got to be kidding. How elementary can you get? What father needs to be told to love his kids? Of course we're going to love our kids. And you'll go home this afternoon, you'll pick up that little baby, you'll hear him coo and feel him cuddle, and your love will grow by the second. But just wait until that precious little baby logs a few years <laughs> and starts turning up his nose at you and spewing back talk. You heard of the terrible twos? Well, that term was coined by a parent whose child didn't make it to three <laughs> because it only grows worse. The terrible twos turn into the defiant fives and then the sarcastic sevens and then the whiny nines and the testy tens. And then your child becomes a teenager. Hold on to your hat. And your little baby is no longer cooing and cuddling. He or she is now bucking and kicking and running around crazy. Trust me, at that point, loving your kids becomes more of a challenge. One year, my oldest son, Zach, and I, we attended the Masters Golf Tournament. And we bumped into a, a guy from Missouri, the Show Me State. 
He was impressed that I had given two, I'd been given two of the toughest tickets in sports to obtain, and I had chosen to give one of them to my teenage son. He told Zach, he said, wow, your dad must really love you. And then the fellow said to me, he said, anybody can love their kids when they're little and cute. Don't say you love your children until they become teenagers. Then if you tell me you love them, it really means something. Dad, when your kids reach their teen years, they've been around long enough to disappoint you and embarrass you and say mean things to your wife and even lose a few of your tools out in the backyard. They're not as lovable as they once were. Neither are they as deserving of your love, but understand, they don't need it any less. They need their father's love. In fact, read all of Paul's letters to the Corinthians. This was a church full of selfish, divisive, arrogant, worldly, argumentative, defiant people, carnal Christians. You could have called these believers spiritual adolescents. They questioned Paul's authority and they had thought they knew more than he did. Paul could have written to them, you ungrateful, inconsiderate, spoiled bunch of brats. And it would have been fitting. Instead, Paul remembers that he too is leaning on God's grace. He also is a recipient of a love he doesn't deserve. And Paul is likewise a beneficiary of God's patience and forgiveness. And so he calls them, my beloved children. He warms them with his love. You know, even teenagers are worth loving. As one parent put it, teenagers are like watermelons, hard and green on the outside, but soft and tasty on the inside. Teenagers are still edible. They're still digestible. You can have a relationship with one. It just takes a lot more effort. You got to get past the rind, spit out a few seeds, but love them anyway. Love. We'll find a way. Parents, always remember that love is like water. Love always flows downward. What I mean by that is that our love for God is never as strong as his love for us. Love flows downward. In the same way, I don't love my parents as much as they love me. And likewise, my child's love for me will never eclipse my love for them. So don't expect it to. And don't withhold your love when you find that it's not always reciprocated. Just keep loving them. If your relationship with your child is in the deep freeze, warm it up with a show of your love. Well, the second duty of a dad is to warn his kid. The point of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, both his letters, was to sound a warning. The believers were being deceived and led astray. And Paul loves them enough to warn them. And this is a father's job. It's tough, but it's necessary. Dad, at times, your place is in your kid's face. Bill Maher is the host of the TV show Politically Incorrect. I disagree with just about everything Bill says. But in one interview, he was asked the question, were you and your dad good friends? He answered, friends? We're friends now, but while growing up, I didn't need my dad to be my friend. I needed him to be my dad. This idea of dads getting mushy and being friends is overblown. Dads are supposed to be the guy who tells you right from wrong. 
Today, all four of my kids are out of the house and they're on their own. And yes, we're friends. All along, I tried to do stuff with them to cultivate our current friendship. But there were days when I had to make the choice when I couldn't be both their dad and their friend. I had to choose. See, friends advise and comfort and empathize and tell a person what they want to hear. But dads put their foot down. They say no and mean it. They ruffle feathers and at times they create tension. A dad doesn't mind the heat though. A loving father knows the importance of showing courage and exercising discipline and doing what's best for his kids in the long run. A father has to always remember, I'm not running for re-election. Men, your kids will have lots of friends that'll tell them what they want to hear. But a friend isn't a father. A dad has to step up and lead. God hasn't called you to walk with your child side by side. You're the one who's been around. You're the one who knows God. You're the one, hopefully, who studied his word. Father knows best. That's why you've been called to walk out front, to determine the course, to set the pace for your child. Several years ago, one of my sons had football practice. All three boys, we, all my other two sons, we went, they went with me to go pick him up. Well, we were, after practice, we were all three walking across the, all four of us walking across the field to our car, when all of a sudden the oldest, who shall remain nameless, <laughs> the oldest, he says to me, he says, Dad, why don't you take your glasses off and wrestle me? I think I can take you. You think you can take me? Well, I took my glasses off. I handed them to his two astonished brothers. <laughs> and in five seconds, I had that kid in a full Nelson down on the ground rubbing his face in the grass. He had underestimated the old man. Of course, it was all in fun. But there have been other struggles with my children that have been no fun at all. They were draining and agonizing. With four kids all close in age, there was a season in our family life where wrestling matches seemed to be a constant occurrence. See, teenagers like to assert their independence, which is good. But a parent's job is to insist that privilege and responsibility goes hand in hand. That you don't get the privilege without also taking on the responsibility. See, if I know nothing else about child rearing, I know, th I know this one thing. Dad needs to win the battles. Kids need to know who is the boss and that it's not them. Every child needs a dad who's not afraid to be in charge. When God judged the high priest Eli, he told the prophet Samuel, I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Eli allowed his son's rebellion to go unchecked. Maybe he thought, if I come down too hard on my boys now, I'll lose them forever. But understand, just the opposite was true. Because he didn't come down on them, he ended up losing them. God had to judge them. Kids are extremely forgiving. They're willing to forget our mistakes but the one thing they won't forgive us for is our cowardice. 
They'll go elsewhere for strength. You'll never gain your child's respect if you wimp out and don't lead. Kids don't want to be bullied, but neither do they want to be left to themselves. They want parents who care enough for them to offer their guidance. Well, the third duty of a dad is to urge on his kids. He warms them with his love. He warns them about the dangers around them, but he also wants for them. See, some kids are self-motivated, but most kids need some form of external motivation. They need a gentle nudge at times. The Corinthians had given in to temptation and compromise. They were content to be mediocre, carnal Christians. They lost the want, the desire to grow spiritually. And for a time, Paul had to want it for them. When faced with obstacles, human nature usually opts for the path of least resistance. We have to be taught that obstacles shouldn't necessarily be bypassed. Some mountains need to be climbed. Some walls need to be broken down. Often our desire determines our destiny. And a dad's job is to encourage and to motivate his child. This is where my dad excelled. He believed in his sons. He encouraged my brother and I to set our sights high. He never taught, he, he taught us to never say the word can't. To this day, my dad honestly thinks that I could have played professional ball if I had pursued it with my whole heart. Love is so blind. <laughs> Whatever I was playing, though, football or basketball or baseball, my dad would always be in the stands. I would always know where he was sitting. And in times when I was exhausted and I was ready to give up, I'd look up at him in the stands, and he'd be giving me the signal that he and I had between each other. He'd be going, that means pump it up. Come on. You need to get it going. My dad was always pulling for us, hoping for us, nudging us onward, always encouraging us to go farther and to be better. I'll never forget the day I was showing off on my bicycle we lived on this steep hill. I had this cool bike with this, you know, sissy handlebars and the banana seat on the back, you know. And I, I would get on that bike at the top of the hill, and I'd come down, and I'd start street surfing, you know. I'd get my courage up, and I'd let go of those handlebars, and I'd do this number down the street. Well, one day, I hit a rock in the street, and the whole rig... That bike and me both went way up into the air, and I landed right in the middle of the pavement, right in the middle of the street, slid probably 30 feet. I, I looked like a rock skipping across the top of the lake, you know. Scraped the skin off my stomach, my back, both my legs. I was a mess. I remember Mom spent all afternoon nursing and bandaging my wounds. But as soon as my dad walked into the house, and learned what had happened. He marched me right back outside, and he made me climb back on that bike. I didn't think I could walk. <laughs> but Dad knew the importance of getting back on the horse that bucks you off before it has a chance to take, put a fear in your heart. I can remember going back outside. I didn't have to ride the bike long, but he made me ride it long enough to keep that fear from taking root. You know, it is possible for a father to push his kids too hard. He can establish impossible expectations that his children can never meet. 
It's a common mistake for a conflicted father to try and fulfill his own personal dreams through his kids. But it's just as wrong for a dad not to provide the right motivation at the right time. Without it, your kids may never become what they themselves really want to be. Dad, there are times when you have to want it for them. One day I came home from work and was met at the back door by my youngest son, Mac. He was five years old at the time. He grabbed my hand and he led me to a picture that was hanging from a magnet on our refrigerator. It was his masterpiece. He was so proud of that picture. Of course, the faces were green and the sky was orange. The clouds were brown. Grass was red. But he was so proud of his work of art. He was looking for my approval. And I made such a big deal out of that picture. I said, son, this picture is a fabulous piece of art. After my rave review, a big smile broke out on Mac's face. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, Dad, I thought you'd say that. (laughs) I was so glad he expected support and affirmation from his dad. Hey, in the course of their lifetime, your children will have many, many critics. That's why the dad, your dad, their dad needs to be their cheerleader. Successful dads dream for their kids, and in doing so, teach their kids how to realize their own dreams. Dad, they need you to want it for them. You know, while James Jordan was alive, his son Michael wanted his dad in the stands whenever he played basketball. Once a reporter asked Michael Jordan why he wanted his dad present at games, Michael replied, well, when dad is there, I know I have at least one fan. Are you kidding me? That's pretty amazing. 25,000 cheering fans can't provide as much motivation as a single father. Yet it's true. Your child might have many fans, but there is no substitute for his dad. And then the fourth duty of a dad is to walk. That is, to live his life as an example to his children. Paul was willing to be an example to the Corinthians. He says in verse 16, I urge you, imitate me. His message was not like some of the fathers that I've known in the past who say, do what I say, not what I do. No, Paul was an example to the Corinthians. He showed them the way. Let me suggest, every dad is an example to his kids, whether he wants to be or not. Priorities rub off. In family life particularly, values are caught far more than taught. Dad, your kids will pick up on your habits and your attitudes and your priorities, whether you want them to or not. It's a given. I have this ugly habit. I hate to admit it, but I do. It's a yard habit. Whenever I'm out in the yard, I like to spit. I just enjoy a good spit. My wife hates it when I spit. But I don't even think about it anymore. I just spit whenever I'm in the yard. Walk across the yard, I spit. Once my, when my kids were tots, I was outside. My two toddlers were in both my hands. We were holding hands, and Zach on one side, Natalie on the other side. As we rounded the house, their mom sat right up on the porch. I spit. Zach spit. And then my precious little princess clears her throat and blows out a mighty wad. 
And I still remember Kathy's lecture, Sandy, what are you teaching our daughter? And that's the question every dad needs to ask. What am I teaching my kids? One of the ways my dad used to serve in our former church was as a Sunday night usher. Once after church, I saw my dad. He had a tear in his dress trousers that he'd worn that night, as well as a skint knee and sort of a bloody elbow. You see, burglars had been hitting cars in the church parking lot. And it had been my dad's turn that night to stand watch. When he saw two guys breaking into a car, he took out after them. They ran across the parking lot, jumped over a wall, and vanished out into the woods. Well, dad made it across the parking lot, but he tripped going over the wall. He went sprawling, tore his pants. In retrospect, it was a good thing. He hadn't thought much of what he was going to do with those guys if he ever caught them. But wow, did I admire his courage. And I'll never forget those torn pants. Dad didn't think he'd done anything valiant, but I did. I equated those torn pants with his commitment to Christ and his dedication to our church. My dad had taken a risk to serve the Lord. He'd actually put himself in harm's way to fulfill his duty and to serve others. Those torn pants that night taught me a lot about serving the Lord. It instructed me far more in a far more memorable way than another sermon would have done. Dads, don't you think it's time to tear some pants in front of your kids? Don't expect your kids to embrace values to which you only pay lip service. We need to show them our dedication to what really matters. Here's a poem entitled, The Better Way. It's written by a man named Edgar Guest but it could have been written by your own child, Dad. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see the good in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it, If you'll let me see it done, I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the good advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. All dads need to understand that kids are attracted to an active faith, not a passive faith. Well, Dad, let me repeat it one more time just in case it hasn't clicked. Nobody can do for their child what a dad can do. Sure, you fall short. Sure, there are times when you slip up. But even with your faults, your kids need you, Dad. Just being there for them is so vitally important. Let me put a wrap on my sermon with a funny story. An accident happened on the streets of East Hampton, New York, an 11-year-old child was screaming. An 11-year-old little girl started screaming, Daddy, Daddy, please don't sing. Please don't sing. I, too, have discovered this to be a great disciplinary tool with your children. (laughs) If I saw my kids misbehaving, I'd just threaten to sing in front of their peers. A public musical performance by a dad is a child's worst nightmare. 
Try it, and they'll shape up in a second. The tactic is guaranteed great results. But getting back to this incident in East Hampton, what's ironic is that this little girl's dad was none other than the famous singer Billy Joel. Millions of music fans are willing to pay big bucks to hear Billy Joel sing, but not his daughter, not when she was 11 years old. And here's great encouragement for dads. If Billy Joel's daughter doesn't appreciate her father's singing, then don't you be surprised, Dad, when your kids aren't grateful for your fathering. Trust me, one day they'll see it differently. They'll thank you for all that you did. So keep warming them with your love. Keep warning them with truth and wisdom. Keep wanting for them all that God desires. And keep walking before them as a godly example. For if you do, one day your kids will call you their hero.